0: Hello and welcome to Catholic View. I'm Shayla Pish. Thank you so much for joining me this Tuesday evening. Coming up in today's broadcast, we'll be taking a look at the upcoming general elections in Kenya. But first, as usual, we begin with some of the stories that made headlines in the Catholic Church and in Africa today.
1: Hi, I'm Archbishop Peter Wells, Apostolic Nuncio. Thank you for listening to Radio Veritas,
2: the good news for a change.
0: headlines this Tuesday evening Pope responds personally to Nigerian priests on acceptance of bishop Bishop of South Sudan laments drought and famine and Pope and others pray as parents of Charlie God and legal struggle. Good evening once again I'm Shaila Pirish. The parents of terminally ill British baby Charlie Gard have ended their legal battle to take him to the U.S. for experimental treatment and will now allow doctors to take him off life support. Following the announcement of their decision, the director of the Vatican Press Office, Greg Burke, said in a statement that Pope Francis, who had taken a personal interest in the baby's case, was praying for Charlie Gard and his parents. Oli Barrett reports from London.
3: Charlie's parents Chris Gard and Connie Yates have made their decision after an American doctor said it was too late to offer him nucleoside therapy. Their legal team told the court the prospects of improvement for Charlie are now too low. And while his parents believe he should have been allowed to travel abroad for experimental therapy earlier, they now agree he should be moved to palliative care so he can die with dignity. Charlie Gard has a rare genetic condition and brain damage. His London doctors have argued in previous legal hearings that experimental treatment abroad would be unlikely to help him and could increase his suffering.
0: Meanwhile, a spokesperson for the Catholic Bishops' Conference of England and Wales expressed deepest sympathy and prayers for the family. The bishop said in a statement that it was important to remember that all involved in the agonizing decision had sought to act with integrity and for Charlie's good as they saw it. They called for Charlie's parents to be given support and space to find peace in the days ahead. The Crux Catholic News site is reporting that Pope Francis has begun responding personally to the priests of the Diocese of Ayara in Nigeria who have written to him accepting the authority of their bishop, Peter Okpaleke. A large portion of the diocesan clergy and laity had resisted Pope Benedict's appointment of the bishop to head the diocese in 2012 because he was not from their area. In June this year, the Pope wrote to the clergy of Ayara saying he he would suspend all the priests from ministry who did not accept the authority of Bishop Okpaleke within 30 days. He also ordered priests who had rejected the bishop's authority to ask for forgiveness. The priests who have received the pontiff's letter have not divulged their content except to reveal that they have been addressed personally. On to more African news, South Sudanese citizens who have been displaced to UN protection camps as a result of conflict in the country say they feel safer when those camps are searched for weapons and other prohibited items. Currently, around 219,000 people live in protection of civilian sites set up by the UN mission in South Sudan, UNMISS. To ensure the sites known as POCs remain civilian in nature, the mission regularly carries out surprise inspections. Daniel Dickinson joined one of the search operations in Juba, the country's capital, and filed this report. Hello? Is anybody there? Assalamu salamu Tamam? Yeah, we are just uh, on pole. We are doing search operations. Can we come in, please? OK, thank you. Please.
4: Cynthia Anderson is an officer from Ghana who's serving in the UN police force UNPOL.
0: We are doing search operations here and uh, we are just making sure that the POC camp maintains its civilian nature. We are looking for weapons or implements or anything that will endanger the security of the people of the POC. You know, one of the key OMS mandates is uh, protection of civilians. So we want to make sure that the civilians here are protected.
4: She's leading five police officers from Nepal and Rwanda, one of around 20 teams involved in the surprise search operation. The inspections are generally welcome, According to the camp community chairperson Bang Lul Guer,
5: this such operation is good because it will uh, improve the life of the community in the camp here, yeah? because there is uh, some element who can disturb uh, people.
4: Do people feel reassured when unpol comes round?
5: Yeah, they feel happy because they see the unpol. is a protecting the family.
4: This fence camp is one of seven established by UNMIS to provide refuge to 219,000 civilians who fled their homes after conflict broke out in December 2013.
0: That's okay. It's cleared. So we can go out now.
4: The three-hour search operation is almost over and an assessment is being made of the confiscated items. They include machetes, knives, uniforms and illegally brewed alcohol significantly neither firearms nor ammunition were recovered. Joachim Bergström is the UNPOL ground commander for the operation. It's for the people inside to have a place to feel safe and also for the UN to show um, our counterparts uh, outside that we're not taking side in this conflict. To what extent is this a deterrence against people bringing weapons into the camps? They know every now and then we will have searches. The chances of getting caught are there. In some way, that might deter people from being, bringing firearms inside. The camps are a key element of unmis 's mandate to provide a protective environment for civilians. Meanwhile, the mission is working with the government... To create the conditions for people to return to their homes.
0: However, drought and famine have only added to the misery of the civil war in South Sudan. Monsignor Ercolano Lodo, the bishop of South Sudanese Diocese of Yei, on the border of Uganda and the Democratic Republic of the Congo, says the country is on the edge of the abyss.
2: We need a big, big way of respond to alleviate the situation. People are dying. Let us be human, all of us. Those who are dying are human beings, and and, and I think that is what I really mean. We need humanitarian support. It is a situation which, uh, because of war, produces uh, famine, suffering, of hunger. And it is a situation, actually, of fear. And it is a situation in which uh, people are desperate. A situation in which people are leaving South Sudan, running to the neighboring countries to become refugees, particularly in Uganda, in Congo, but also in Sudan. They go to Sudan, Sudan which, with which South Sudan was a part of.
1: The desired independence in 2011 opened a new horizon for a population hitherto united by a common goal. Along with their separation from Sudan, they hoped that the peace they longed for would be attained, Following the civil war, which Sudan experienced between 1985 and 2005, the bishop laments that the international community, which enthusiastically welcomed this process, has now forgotten his country.
2: We need the mediation. We need the support of the international community. It doesn't mean that we cannot solve this problem. The solution must come from us, but we need to be helped to find that solution. So from that point of view again, I can say that, yes, we may feel abandoned, uh, and, 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 and I don't think it is right for international community to be tired of helping South Sudan that got independent with enthusiasm to abandon South Sudan into its, the misery of fighting itself.
1: Some 120,000 people are at risk of starvation in a country where even in the 21st century, parents are forced to deny themselves food in order to feed their children. There are many people in isolation who cannot even flee and who need help by air. However, other international crises have taken over all of the attention and funds of humanitarian organizations, causing South Sudan to disappear from the map. Bishop Lodu asks that we do not let his people die of hunger, and that he be given the opportunity to return to enjoy the hope of peace,
0: which was born in his country only six years ago. According to Stephen O'Brien, the humanitarian coordinator in the Democratic Republic of the Congo (DRC), the country has experienced a dramatic deepening of the humanitarian crisis. Metwell's reports.
3: During two days of travel outside the capital, Kinshasa, Mr. O'Brien visited some of the communities most affected by the crisis, including Shikapa in the restive Kasai region, where a year of conflict and rights abuses has displaced around 1.4 million. Violence in the five provinces making up the Kasais has pushed thousands of children out of school, and 600 cases of sexual-based violence have been reported since last year. The UN relief chief said millions of men, women, boys and girls were suffering from violence, disease and malnutrition. In the last 12 months, we have seen a dramatic deepening of this very acute crisis here in DRC. In fact, the number of internally displaced persons here in DRC has jumped from 2.2 million to 3.8 million in just six months. And this now represents the highest IDP population of any African country. Mr O'Brien called for safe access for courageous humanitarians who are doing their utmost to ensure that aid reaches the most vulnerable in remote areas. Apart from record levels of IDPs, DRC is also dealing with a steady flow of refugees from neighbouring Burundi, Central African Republic and South Sudan.
0: In other stories making headlines today, a Vatican official has addressed a UN meeting on migrants and development and emphasized the right to remain in one's homeland in dignity, peace and security. The Undersecretary of the Section for Migrants and Refugees of the Dicastry for Promoting Integral Human Development, Jesuit Father Michael Sherney, said yesterday that no one should ever be forced to leave his or her home
6: due to lack of the Development or peace. Linda Bodoni has more. Father Michael Cherney, who is the Undersecretary of the Section for Migrants and Refugees in the new Vatican dicastery for Promoting Integral Human Development, focused his intervention on the need to promote a culture in which the consequences and impacts of migration become an opportunity for human growth, for encounter, and for dialogue. First, he pointed out that no one should ever be forced to leave his or her home due to lack of development or peace, and that tragically. The reasons that compel millions to go on the move today are to be found in endemic poverty, hunger, violence, inadequate work, environmental degradation, weak and corrupt institutions. Then Father Churney said that whether the effects of migration become a gain for the migrants, their families, their countries of destination, and hopefully one day perhaps for their countries of origin, depends on the extent to which they are welcomed, protected, promoted and integrated. That gain, he continued, hinges on whether migrants and refugees are helped to transition from objects of emergency care to dignified subjects of their own development and are permitted to use their education, their skills, ambitions, experiences and the cultural wisdom they already have, as well as those that could be enhanced through further schooling and training for the development of society. For this desired win-win to occur, he concluded, migrants must first be received and treated as human beings, with dignity and respect for their rights. And they must be protected against all forms of exploitation, and from being permanently cast away, whether socially, economically or legally. The Archbishop of San Antonio
0: in Texas has said the deaths of at least nine people in an alleged immigrant smuggler's truck parked in the city is an occasion for tears, prayers, and action to end such situations. Calling it an incomprehensible tragedy, the Archbishop said there were no words to convey the feelings of sadness, despair, and even anger at the completely senseless deaths of nine people from heat exhaustion exhaustion, and suffocation. He prayed for the victims and all victims of human trafficking. Thirty adults and children are in a serious condition in hospital as a result of their ordeal. The president of the French Bishops' Conference has issued a statement on the anniversary of the killing of Father Jacques Hamel. Two members of ISIS slit the 85-year-old priest's throat on July 26, 2016, while he was celebrating Mass. In April, the Archdiocese of Rouen inaugurated his beatification cause after Pope Francis waived the customary five-year waiting period. The president of the bishop's conference, Archbishop Georges Pontier, said that Father Hemel was a symbol of a life lived with the people and for the people, a life of daily fidelity and a life rooted in the love of Christ. <music> and finally on a nutritional note while many may wonder if there is a connection between food and religion father leo has made it his life's mission to prove just how closely linked the two actually are Father Leo has started a cooking program called Grace Before Meals in an attempt to encourage families to eat dinner together more often.
7: Food is related to religion and faith, especially for Christians, because God actually became food. And if there's one thing that brings people together, it is food, which is exactly why Jesus became food. He wants to bind himself to us. So religion and food, you can't separate them.
1: Thus, Father Leo has incorporated this food mindset into every aspect of his life. In addition to Grace Before Meals, he has also started a nonprofit. It is called The Table Foundation, which will serve as formation for ex-convicts leaving prison. It's a way for them to learn how to feed the flock more literally, while Father Leo also does it spiritually every day as a priest.
7: Food has impacted my faith personally because my whole world is now changed. I actually look at everything in the scripture through the lens of food. I even give my homilies like a waiter would, making sure that it's presented well.
1: However, his reach has expanded much further than only his parish. He has a television program, website, and cookbook, and is followed by almost 15,000 people on social media as the cooking priest, providing what he says is bite-sized faith to believers and non-believers alike.
7: I learned from the mystic doctor of the church, St. Teresa of Avila, who said, if you want to find God, find Him amidst the pots and the pans. And our job as priests and as shepherds is to feed the masses. And the best way to feed mass media is to make sure that our faith is made bite-sizeable. That's why the social media can help us in a bite sized way to get the message out there because there are a lot of people who are absolutely hungry for the truth.
1: It is this hunger that he is trying to satisfy while finding the relevance and connection between the Lord's
0: altar and the dinner table. And those were just some of the stories that made headlines in the Catholic Church and in Africa today. You're still listening to Catholic View, and I'm Sheila Pierce. Thank you so much for joining me this evening. Coming up next, we take a look at the role of the Catholic Church with regards to the upcoming general elections in Kenya. Kenyan general elections are scheduled to be held on 8th August 2017. Voters will elect the president and his deputy, members of parliament as well as devolved government members. Kenyan Catholic bishops have on several occasions appealed to the country's political leaders and aspirants to conduct themselves peacefully and to ensure that whatever they do is in the interest of Kenyans and promotes peace and unity. Mr. Anthony Mbandi is in charge of Caritas Justice and Peace in Kenya. He has been speaking to me about the role of the Catholic Church with regards to the upcoming general elections.
8: In terms of political tension, uh, it's quite tense in terms of uh, uh, trying to make sure that people do not go to get to a point where they're by, um they are physically uh, contesting with each other, physically fighting. Uh, at the moment, uh, we have two uh, major parties fighting it out: we have the opposition party and we have the ruling party which has been there for the last, say, four and a half years now. And uh, what has been happening in the last, uh, let's say, two and a half years or so, the opposition party has been building a case for saying the ruling party is not doing uh, what it was supposed to do and also creating what you'd call a scenario for contesting all the issues that uh, the, 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 the ruling party has been uh, trying to put across. On the other hand, the ruling party, which is very bent on mensurally, that uh, we do have uh, elections in uh, August this uh, year. So now the church has been trying to balance the two because you see the opposition is arguing that uh, they don't care about the elections as long as they feel they are not free. While these other guys are saying that uh, the constitution is terrible and the elections are to take place. So. That antagonism is what the Catholic Church has been trying to tell them, let's find a compromise. What will you determine as credible elections? And what will you you determine to change some of these constitutional deadlocks that would allow for the people to believe their perception of elections were correct? So this is the scenario we have.
0: Now let's talk about the Catholic Church. How involved or how vocal is the Catholic Church concerning politics in Kenya?
8: The Catholic Church is very much involved uh, from the national level all the way down to the local level, I mean the parish level. And the Catholic Church has only one clear message, that we have to have credible and peaceful elections. And the Catholic Church is also insisting that people have to look at um, leaders, not parties, because in Kenya our party system is not a principal system. We, are, we have to look at leaders, individual leaders, and ask yourself, Will these people be a people servant, or are you electing uh, a thief? Uh, are you electing somebody who is a warmonger? Are you electing somebody who is going to be this permit in the community? So the Catholic Church is asking people to study the leaders, study the issue that they're presenting, and then ask themselves, in pure concept is this the right thing to do?
0: Now, the bishops have also been quite vocal about tribalism. What is happening with regards to that in the country?
5: The bishops have uh, clearly written out a pastoral data indicating that people should look beyond this and listen to the issues that the the, the politicians are presenting. Obviously, this is an uphill task. Uh, Kenya, where we are right now, there is still a lot of... uh, Stimulicity being the, the, the basis of political processes rather than issues. Uh, the current government, the current president, is trying to work very hard to try and present issues. But even when you look at the ground, some of the political leaders are losing uh, traction, even when we discuss issues. The more people are more interested to discuss uh, rhetoric. Uh, I tend to call it rhetoric. So uh, there is a lot of work being undertaken by the bishop in terms of trying to present at the national level, and also at the level they are trying to work on civic education, trying to educate the people on the virtue of voting for the right leaders, and why we need to listen to the issues and not so much uh, being trebly uh, aligned.
0: Over the years in different African countries, we have heard bishops condemning priests from talking about politics during homilies and so forth whenever a country is approaching elections. Is that the case in Kenya? Are priests not allowed to talk at all about politics in church? How far is the church involved when it comes to guiding the people, encouraging people to go out and actually register and vote?
8: And the fact of encouraging people to register and vote, the church has been very much involved. And that's why I feel like since uh, uh, um, uh, the the campaign, the message has been, make sure you study your leaders, do your civic duty and vote. Make sure you are peaceful. You do not have to fight people for you to have uh, elected leaders. Um, In terms of uh, influencing one direction or the other, the church has been very categorical, but we do not want politics inside the church. We are a few of is to, uh, to do with the spiritual perspectives. So what they have, uh, uh, the bishops have instructed, is that even in church they do not allow any more politicians to come and make speeches during this election period. They are also saying that they will not allow people to come to church wearing particular uh, party, party regalia. For example, on Sunday you are not expected to go to church wearing the t of a particular party. So this is something that the church has really made very clear that we are not going to allow the public to come into the church. But we give people freedom to make their expressive opinions out there as long as they are not uh, infringing the other's in rights.
0: What role does the Justice and Peace Department play uh, when it comes to elections, for example? How involved are you?
8: Okay. Uh, the Justice and Peace Commission uh, is given a very clear mandate by the Bishop's Conference to be able to uh, deal with issues around governance, refereeing, uh, uh, human rights perspectives and all that. And uh, this time around, especially during the, the lessons period, the election and peace commission normally has a lengthened campaign message, and this message is credible and peaceful. elections. So that is the message that they actually give all this here to the election campaign. And they uh, also engage not just the Catholic Church; they also engage other civil society and other uh, other church organizations uh, to try and build consensus on what canals believe should be credible and peaceful elections. And this is where the church is now also trying to influence others to maintain peace in the society. but um, also to study, the issues, to study the questions of governance. When you have, uh, for example, a member of parliament who is representing a constituency, the church is asking the constituents to ask themselves, who is this person? Are they able to deliver for us? What are the issues we are facing as people? so that we do not get this rhetoric of supposedly because they belong to a particular party. But the question is, do you just pass on the right leader? Do they have the credentials that you're looking for in a leader? So that is what the the, 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 the Justice and Peace Commission is looking at. Questions on governance, questions on human rights, questions on um, accountability, transparency and accountability. So, we are feeding international conferences of Catholic bishops, and the bishops are then feeding to the wider uh, justice and peace, uh, peace, the civil society, as well as uh, uh, other church organizations. So, in these particular elections, um, there's a very strong push for for peaceful elections because we see uh, uh, one side of the divide is pushing for. I mean, when you hear somebody stand on the podium and say that it is do or die, then that's the wrong message you're sending to the side. You're telling them that you do not get peace, you die. And that's not correct. There is life after the elections And this is what the church is trying to portray. But you, you, you need to keep the peace and remind people that Elections is not a matter of life and death. It means there is going to be life after elections, and you have to study the leaders who are telling you to do or die, or do or die, and think about it very hard because of your children. So this is the thing cha- a lot of, uh, engagement the church is involved in at particular moments. And as I mentioned, even the issues of the voter register, they been involved in trying to make sure it is well done. The issues of uh, the, the election, the, the, what you call it, the, the of Election uh, uh, Modernist Commission. The church has been going to make sure that you build a consensus around that. Um, so there are a lot of issues. Even uh, when, when, uh, the last one that they were involved in, uh, they got uh, the was to discuss the issue of availability of ladies, because there are people who are trying to use names as a campaign tool. And when you go that route, you start to. Creating a scenario that people are getting uh, animosity is being created. So the church is trying to ensure we maintain peaceful and also a that the elections are actually credible.
0: And my thanks goes there to Mr. Anthony Mbandi from Caritas Justice and Peace in Kenya, talking to us about the upcoming general elections. <laughs> Well, that brings me up to time. This has been your Tuesday's edition of Catholic View, a program produced and presented by Shayla Pirsch for Radio Veritas. Should you wish to get in touch with me, feel free to send me an email, shayla at radioveritas.co.za. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back again tomorrow evening at the same time. Until then, God bless you and ciao, ciao. I'm Shayla Pirsch.